introduced him to me and so I got to hang out with Willie a little bit back in 1990 and then in uh, 2011 I started helping him and his group that tours with him uh, get medical marijuana authorizations and I was their grower actually under Oregon's medical marijuana law from 2011 till they made that illegal the legislature of Oregon changed the law so you had to be a resident uh, to do that the Supreme Court had ruled that you didn't have to be a resident about 10 years before that but the legislature changed that so I couldn't be a grower for Willie anymore at that point but I've also met and hung out a bit with uh, Woody Harrelson and I was with Woody Harrelson on June 1st of 1996 when he planted six hemp seeds in Lee County, Kentucky. And uh, eventually he was acquitted at his second trial after it was appealed the first conviction. And uh, uh, it, it was quite a splash at the time when Woody Harrelson planted those seeds. And, yeah, I think I yeah, remember I've got that. to meet a lot of different folks over the years. Uh, I met this fellow named Jack Herrer down in, in 1982 in Los Angeles, and we both moved to Oregon to work on the Oregon Marijuana Initiative in 1994. I mean, excuse me, 1984. You know you're getting old when you get the wrong decade. Jack Herrer, that's, a, that's a, a famous name in, in these circles. That's true. He, he wrote a pretty famous book called The Emperor Wears No Clothes about the history of hemp. And I had uh, uh, helped him with that. I'm in the dedication. And so a lot of these other names uh, as well. So I really do appreciate your time and your input and your cannabis warrior activism. You're one of the greats around here. And I am glad and honored to be able to talk with you today. Well, you're very welcome, Trevor. I, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for listening to my interview with Paul Stanford. Music is produced by J. Cody Robertson. I'm Trevor Collins. Be sure to look for more episodes wherever you get your podcasts at times like now. I'll be talking with you next time. Greetings, I'm Ansel Craigland. And I'm Winston Watson. And I'm Donald Clark. And we are The Meditation. We are listening to Community Radio. KBOO! 90.7 FM, Portland, Oregon. Yeah. Dig it. <laughs> Andy, whoa, whoa, looks a scream. Andy, whoa, whoa, whoa. Andy, whoa, silver scream. Can't tell them apart at all. My name is Joseph Gallivan, and you're listening to Art Focus on KBOO Portland. My guest this week is sculptor Philip Crone. He's here talking about his sculpture, To the River, which is on our Zydel Yards South Waterfront through September 25th, viewable on weekends. Thanks very much for coming back on Art Focus, Philip. Thanks for having me. People might remember your voice um, when Building 5 opened in 
Northwest Portland near Montgomery Park, big sculpture space. You had one of the first pieces in there. It was you just called it Ox Art. The idea was Ox A U X, the thing you plug in, and it's sort of it was a big kind of bird's nest of a wooden sculpture. Um, so this time, this piece is called To the River. You get to it, you get off the tram, you walk around the tram station to the north and then go down a sort of an empty lot. And there on a concrete platform is this huge wooden sculpture. So just tell us a bit more about what it's made of. Well, it's made of wood, the same the piece uh, that we talked about a year ago from a molding mill that is over in Southeast Portland, Creative Woodworking Northwest. And through their work, they generated a fair amount of waste and they started bringing it over and dropping it here in December. And so we had about, we had several months of collection um, that we had to choose from. And we picked boards that work to create the kind of work we're doing, which is that the boards have to be flexible, but strong and long. We band them together one to the other with bicycle, used bicycle inner tubes. And um, yeah, we needed miles and miles of strips of wood for the project. Um, are they milling this off like wood for industrial use or is this for, you know, floorboards or something? These are long, thin strips mostly. Yeah, it's it's all varies. They process any kind of, they make different profiled boards for all kinds of finished purposes inside people's houses, apartments, restoration projects. So uh, they have shapers, they have resaw mills, uh, they kind of do, do any custom preparation of wood for a building project. And inevitably, um, and somewhat sadly, I guess, they're in order to get a flat straight edge to process through their their milling machines they have to cut off a certain amount it's called straight line ripping and what comes off is usually an oddly tapered piece of wood that can't be really used for for much and so it gets ground up and turned into poultry bedding or various other things oh okay or burned um mm. and so we're just interrupting the waste stream and with building five, it was about the same percentage of wood that we were able to use from what we gleaned. About, I'd say about 15%. And the rest of it, we advertise on free sites and people come by with their trucks and trailers and and pick wood up. We've oh, had a pretty steady stream for a while. Um, it's a little quiet at the moment, but I'm hoping that more and more people will come and get wood because we still have quite a bit to give it away. Well, yeah, I noticed there was a lot of it just stashed on the side in bundles. That's stuff you're not going to use for the sculpture. No. Okay. No. I should, so I should put free signs up so that when people come to see the project, they know it's available. Yes, and they don't think it's art. Uh, well, it is in its way. I mean, that's the one thing about working in this setting is, and the way that I've been enjoying working under this heading of ox art, is that every project is is a residency. It's uh, it starts with a lot of unknowns and a big site with a group of people that I bring together. And we start with an idea and move it forward. And inevitably, it's like any experimental or laboratory process. A lot of things don't work. So we're learning as we go and modifying and then ex expanding on it and eventually kind of landing on something that's working to be able to create something this 
colossal. Uh, we really needed a, a design for building it that could, it, I mean, we, we've been at it for three months and that seems like a long time, but there are hundreds of thousands of ties out there on wood and um, it just takes, the whole process is, is of experimenting and then landing and trying to create something that works is pretty, is pretty slow. Um, so the residency setting is, is perfect for this. All that to say that the, the stacks of wood at the end of the day feel like they are kind of part of the dynamic of it. Mm -hmm. So as you, as the first bit, you walk in on this big concrete pad. I don't know how many hundred feet long it is. It's a couple of feet off the ground. Yeah, it's 400 feet long. So was that the was that part of a barge building building when it was Zydel? It was it, it was never covered. Um, it was where they did a ton of welding. You can tell. Um, I don't know whether the barges what state they were in, whether it was just the bottom or one of the hulls, or I think that they they welded along. You see it. There's stripes on it, and so they had stickers and, that masked it, and then they welded with torches through. Um, so there are these stripes that go along the whole thing, um, and they mm -hmm. and they bit the concrete with all the stick welding they did. So it must have been a lot. And then they had these huge cranes that lifted the parts over to the center area, where they then did the final assembly, um, and then rolled them down to the slip, and then eventually into the water. So you've done a when you walk you walk through the sculpture because it's quite big, maybe I don't know ten feet high at times. I, I felt like I was in a big load of concertina wire or razor wire, you know, at a battlefield or uh, a riot or something. Um, there are these loops of thin wood. They go in these spirals, but it's kind of chaotic too. And then there are kind of tripods holding things up, holding it up. Um, and does it snake back and forth in a continuous piece? You mean are the is the wood connected from the beginning to the end? Mm -hmm. Not always. There are some that do. Um, they're sort of these strands, and they form sound waves. Ideally, it's sort of related to, to river waves, whatever a waveform is. Um, that's what we kind of call that piece, the waveform sculpture. So they're they're going undulating up and down from one end to the other, but they are interrupted in a lot of places. Mm -hmm. The framing for it, we call them A-frames, are just two pieces of wood that have a pin at the top and their legs are spread. They're not braced at all. They're just held in place and upright by the weight of the of these long runs, we call them, that hang on them with bicycle inner tubes. So it doesn't actually, um, there, there, there's no um, movement, circular movement. It's, it is going kind of undulating up and down from one end to the other. And we tried to keep the lines fairly straight because when we had all that rain in <laughs> in April and May and and half of June, uh, we started building and the whole thing just got swamped and sunk and we ended up having to do a lot of rebuilding um, and learned that the more you push the wood in different directions, the more it would uh, would would lose its uh, strength and things would start to collapse. So we tried to keep it so that the gravity is able to be you know uh, hit it uh, directly up and down rather than you know contorting things to the side so mm -hmm. what's the idea of you know of a long piece of sculpture that goes to a riverfront well when we first when Charlene Zidel first asked me to come out and uh, build something out here it was Sorry, be she 
she is the sort of heir to the Zydell business. Um, they don't make barges anymore. They sell real estate. They, they do. They still have a marine business. And um, they're, Charlene has taken on the role of, of running this facility for, for artists primarily. And the former office building is full of, is essentially a resource center for all kinds of arts nonprofits. And she's just trying to, you know, well, this property is in this interim condition. Um, it hasn't been sold. It hasn't been developed. Uh, they made plans for it. The city kind of got out of the deal and it's, it's, it's a little bit unknown what's next. Um, so Charlene's taking advantage of the opportunity to, to activate it with lots of, um, lots of arts programs and actions and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, did, I didn't know that. Part so the, the Zydell office building down there, which I've been in and it had loads of pictures of ships and things in it. That is now got artists in it. Yes. The, the two story, uh, building that's right next to the yards mm. is full of artists and little production companies and um, yeah all all disciplines of arts are in here that sounds so, good yeah it's a great resource so originally we were going to we talked about doing something in the big barn and I thought that it would be instead of doing a centralized sculpture in this incredibly long barn it would be great to do something that that stretched the length of it that really emphasized um and then it became too difficult to find a schedule to do something that was several months long. So we ended up landing on this, this platform idea. And I thought it was great because the more that I thought about it, um, I just thought we could create a tributary, essentially a metaphoric tributary to the Willamette and that would carry the ideas with it about what it is to go to the river, why people go to the river. And it, it did make sense given that it's right at the base of the OHSU tram. It literally goes from the base of the tram to, directly to the river. Um, and that that's a center for, for healing and preoccupations around, around that. Um, we we're coming out of the pandemic and um, it just felt like it was a time for everybody to have an opportunity to enter an art environment and see what it meant for them to journey to the river and, I've always loved the canon of music that is focused on going to the river to, you know, cleanse your soul or whatever it is to start again, to, to get free. Um, and without knowing what people would actually experience, I mean, it is a sculpture project. It's not a, you know, it's not a, it's not a religious setting. Um, but what it would might mean for people to just, um, take a walk inside an art environment and land in a really, really beautiful setting overlooking the river um and encounter this really really interesting sound design up there and just sort of see see what the whole experience feels like so that was the idea so the the one sound element is as you walk through the sculpture the first bit there are like tin cans as wind chimes and things is there any other sound element to that part no just the just the bells we call them and of course everything Mm -hmm we do is made from salvaged material. So cans were a really great um, kind of obvious thing. And bells that are activated by wind were were another thing. What happened was we built the piece. We were trying to integrate Seth Neal's sound work into uh, an idea that I had about activating some uh, wood as the speaker membrane. 
And we just couldn't figure out a really interesting and uh, congruous way to put that wood in the in the sound wave sculpture. So that's how Seth's work and became something else down by the river. And I thought this is just not, it's too inert. It needs to be activated with something. And so I landed on this idea of making these bells and we put a few up and just really loved the sound. And then it, it had a, an interesting twist, which is that there are a few people that have walked through it and felt like it sort of felt like the bones of a river. Um, it's very dry, you know, it's a parched environment. The concrete feels dry, the wood feels dry at this point after baking in the sun. And I really, at first was like, no, I really wanted a sort of aqueous feeling. I wanted to feel nourishing and lush, but I, I got that and I feel that way too a little bit. And I certainly have felt that way working when it's been really hot out there. My name's Joseph Gallivan. You're listening to Art Focus on KBOO Portland. My guest this week is sculptor Philip Crone. He's talking about the piece To the River, which is viewable on weekends now through September 25th at Zydell Yards on the South Waterfront in Portland. So, Philip, uh, the second piece of the sculpture, you come off the platform and you just walk along some dirt and then you go up a little hill and then there's a, a little area, maybe, I don't know, 10 and 20 yards deep going over to the riverbank and there you have a, a sort of mini version of the sculpture going around this oval wooden bench and people sit on the bench and there's a strip of wood under the bench quite wide and thin and you've somehow turned that into a speaker so there are noises you hear there are noises you feel and then on top of all that you sometimes have concerts there um, and they just bring their own sound system. So tell us about the speaker as the bench as speaker. Well, the, the um, mill, same mill produces when they get a rough beam uh, to cut down or turn into something something more finished, they take peelings off of the side or they run it through a resaw mill and they get this thin sort of skin, we call it a beam skin, and it's maybe an eighth inch thick. And if you put a little uh, electronic transducer on it, it's the same as the electronics that go into your speakers at home that are made of paper. And it turns the wood into a speaker membrane. So I built this bench that you could sit on that's 40 by 50 feet elliptically and uh, built in the skin underneath and then attached 16 transducers to it about every eight feet and um, wired it into a center little vault. And then Seth Neal, who is the head of sound and video at PNCA, um, designed on his computer sounds that were related to the space and coming in and out of the space and put all the gadgetry together that could make the speaker operate with 16 channels of sound generatively. Uh, so it's never, it's always changing. These 16 voices are mixing up and getting together and competing and changing themselves and um yeah and the so, so those kind of competing clicks and clonks and things they are that's a computer making them happen and change it's not the wind or the you know earth tremors or light or anything not in not in this case that's certainly a technology that you can have where you have microphones also or something that's sensitive to the to the atmosphere or the environment 
In this case, it's being generated from a program in his computer. I mean, the, the sounds that are there, the, the sort of book of sounds is, is established in its original form. Um, so the, like their cricket sounds, for example, that are electronically created, um, but they, they, they're modified and changing all the time. And then when I went a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks ago on a Thursday, you had a concert. So you had one of those free pianos decorated and um, a band, bass, French horn, uh, drums. Uh, who's the pianist again? Uh, that was Robin Bass here. Right. So that was a beautiful concert. She sings a songwriter. She sings her own kind of wordy love songs, emotion songs. And you had these, I, I don't know, a few dozen people who showed up and just sat in the sunset listening to this lovely outdoor concert in this little little oval, you know, hundreds of yards from everyone else. And, and I felt like, well, maybe I always feel this, actually. Maybe these people haven't been out of the house for two and a half years. Uh, they seem to be enjoying it. Some of them brought their their dinner. Um, what, why did you want to activate it with music? Well, I'm just more and more interested in connecting, which is the idea behind the AUX, AUX, or using the AUX port of having, creating something that isn't just for your eyes, but that can be used in an armature for not just sound works or sound design, but also musical works. Bring in an audience, have them drop into kind of a different setting than they would uh, normally just looking at a sculpture, relax in it, hang out in it, uh, just be in it in a different way. So it's it's an experiment. Um, I haven't done it before. The last project we did the one concert with Nancy Ives doing the cello performance. On this one, we were doing six different performances and it's pretty delightful. I, I mean, I just, as a sculptor or as a maker, I just love the connection between the disciplines. It's fun to work with, with people that are doing different things than I am that want to get to, that want to focus on the same kind of theme. So for everyone, it's a little bit different how they interpret what the question or area of interest is. And, um, and then some of them, like the first project, um, Machado Majiga, who's a drummer, and Dario Lapoma, they played with the sound design quite a bit of the time they performed. And I'm guessing that uh, Jose Medellis, when he comes, uh, will also do that. He's been out and heard the sound design and he really wants to play with it. So uh, just say who is Jose? And I know he plays on September the 17th. Well, he is a drummer that's very known and beloved around Portland. Um, he's the owner of Revival Dr Drum Shop, which is a vintage drum shop. He's written several books on drumming and he's a former rock star who decided to stay home in Portland after he had his kid because he wasn't spending enough time with him. So he doesn't tour the world anymore, but he does all kinds of interesting projects. He's the go-to for many of Portland's, you know, big musicians when they go into the studio. Um, so yeah, he's, he's playing with a, um, with a guitarist that that'll be on the 17th. Um, next week, Nancy Ives is playing. Oh, so this will air on September the 6th. So September the 9th, you have Nancy Ives with the Portland Cello Project. Yes, she's put together a, court, a cello quartet with three um, 
colleagues of hers from the Portland Cello Project. And they, she has a whole plan for what she wants to do uh, that involves taking the audience on a, on a walk and doing uh, some improvisational work in cello out on the promontory. promontory. And um, she's, she's just super engaged. You know, Nancy, Nancy is a person, despite the fact that she's at the absolute top of her game, you know, she's the principal cellist for the Oregon Symphony, just loves any new creative project and takes it on with a childlike spirit. And um, so it's really, really an honor uh, to, to be able to work with her. So she'll be on, they'll all be playing on the 9th and that's a Friday. And oh, then- Okay. Um, the other thing I should say is you do charge money to see these musicians. Whereas if you go on the weekend just to look at the sculpture, that's free, correct? Yes. And of course, it's worth saying that we, we are charging um, generally $25 for tickets for the shows, but anybody can contact us and say, hey, $25, I'd rather pay 10 or I can't afford anything and we'll, we'll you know, nobody's going to be turned away and we'll make mm -hmm. it happen. So feel invited, um, not excluded, please. One other musician on the 24th is Christopher White. So Christopher White is a percussionist. He's in the music department at PSU. And he also uh, is the percussionist known for playing with third angle music. And um, he is putting together a percussion summit for professionals and students from around the region to play a piece uh, by John Adams called the Nuke Suit, which is a piece that's done in the landscape, hasn't been done according to him, in Oregon before. So it'll it'll be performed throughout the big wave sculpture. So across 400 feet by 20 yards of space, all in mm -hmm. the tangle of these waves. And I'm guessing there'll be 60 or 70 percussionists in it. Oh my God, that sounds brilliant. So you have the, these concerts. Have you observed anyone going on the days where there's nothing else going on? How do people behave? Uh, you mean on a Saturday or Sunday with no performances? Mm -hmm. Well, I was, you know, we, we rely on volunteers primarily to host the project, which needs to have four or three or four people every time we're open. So it's a bit of an undertaking to, to get people. And we were short of volunteer. And so I was there last week and it was great to be able to talk to people as they came through. Uh, um, and the feeling was just, you know, <laughs> confusion and delight and kind of a broad spectrum of not having seen anything quite like it before and what is it i like it i don't know what it is i feel different people love the the experience of sitting on the bench and having it vibrate and the vibrations moving around and kind of not knowing what's coming next and um so it's a mixture of things it's a mixture of different kinds of elements that are a little surprising or unexpected mm -hmm. and it seems my impression is that Pretty, you, pretty much to the person, people enjoy that, the diversity and the challenge of it. And some people go slowly and take their time and some people move pretty quickly. But um, yeah, it's been, it's been great to, to sort of feel people getting into it. Mm -hmm. And at the weekends, are there times, are there set times or could you stay as long as you want? Well, it opens at three and it closes at seven. So any any time in that zone. Mm -hmm. So it's a kind of a hot afternoon sun thing. 
Well, until the weather changes. Lately, it has been for sure. <laughs> it's also very, you know, bring your dog, bring your kids, bring a picnic. Um, so it's, it's wide open, and it's, mm-hmm. it's free. It's free for anybody on the weekends. It's a little hard to make sure people know that it's there and how do we get in. And so we're we're trying to figure that out or make that happen. Um, and then explain. You know, you say it's about connecting to the river. Can you say a bit more than it being just a tributary? I when I first reached out to the musicians and to Seth and to even to the people that have helped build the sculpture, I I told them that I you know was interested in this idea of what it is to um, for sort of all the layers of what a recovery or a remediation or a healing what 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 does that mean is the question for. And the site itself used to be a part of the Willamette River. It was underwater. It's all fill that was pulled in from doing digging all across Portland. And they filled it in so that they could turn it into this huge industrial site where they used to break warships. So it's got this, you know, super toxic legacy. And the Zydell family are the only, I think they're the only major industrial site in Portland or family that owns an industrial site that's done a voluntary DEQ remediation which was a huge project and super expensive. Um, so the site is now had is covered with layers of carbon fire and rock and, and it's theoretically everything that's underneath it, all the PCBs and heavy metals are separated from being able to go into the river. So I just thought that, you know, one, another level of doing a remedi- remediation, especially for a site that used to be part of the river, used to be salmon habitat and wildlife habitat, um, could use a, a, a sculptural healing too, um, another kind of remediation. So that was part of the the intention. Without that being too heavy or lofty an idea, it was just a suggestion. Have you had any realtors showing up looking around? <laughs> Not that I know of. <laughs> you can't spot them from 30 yards. I, I really enjoyed it, particularly the concert, because you know, any any kind of outdoor concert. I guess you could have a play there too. It's a bit noisy, but you know, you had microphones. Uh, yeah, I just think any kind of outdoor entertainment right now is is really valuable. Well, we one of the grants we got to do this was from the city of Portland, and it was it was a pool of funds that was being provided for the purpose of supporting um, for, you know this kind of work, which is kind of reactivating. The public outdoors, in particular, to enjoy performance. If with with some luck and um, the agreement of the, the Zydels, the elliptical work will stay in place for a bit longer. So um, there may be an opportunity to we do some more kinds of things out there in the future. That would be great. Can I just drop in the ox? art.net a-u-x-a-r-t dot net as a way to find out schedules my name is joseph gallivan you've been listening to art focus on kboo portland my guest this week was sculptor philip crone he was talking about to the river a sculpture made with ox art at zydell yards on the south waterfront and it's available on weekends through september 25th there's also a concert schedule thanks very much for coming back on art focus philip thank you for having me
Andy Warhol, silver stream. <laughs> 